And it would have been easy for me to make an excuse not to succeed because of the challenge. But I wanted to overcome that. Uh, and, and that has happened. In fact, it's happened in pretty much everything Dave Bing has set out to do in his remarkable career. Glad you found the Q's Conversations podcast. I'm Chris Velarde, Director of Digital Engagement and Communications in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement and a 1995 Syracuse grad. In the foreword to Dave Bing's new memoir, Attacking the Rim, out November 17th from Triumph Books, NBC sportscaster and Syracuse University trustee and alumnus Mike Tirico points out that Bing could be introduced by a different title of acclaim every day of the week. College All-American, Basketball Hall of Famer, founder and CEO of Michigan's largest steel company, Detroit mayor, life-changing mentor. Bing has embraced all of these roles with his signature drive. As he lays out in his memoir and shares with us in this Q's conversation, his philosophy of attacking the rim applies to much more than just basketball. Absolutely. Um, you know, basketball um, was a mainstay in my life for a period of time. But, uh, you know, beyond basketball, um, there were uh, years when, um, you know, I was in the business arena. Uh, there were years when I was in the political arena. And now there are years that uh, I'm, I'm doing the foundation work on, on mentees. So um, it's, it's been a lot of different areas for me to kind of dip into and try to remember you know, some of the important things that happen in each one of those careers. Tell me a little about that philosophy of attacking the rim and why it proved successful for you, no matter what arena you were in. Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, attacking the rim is about being aggressive in terms of what it is that you wanted to achieve. And uh, all through my life, um, you know, I've had challenges. Um, you know, going back to childhood when I had, you know, an, uh, an eye injury and an accident uh, that is with me today. And it would have been easy for me to make an excuse not to succeed because of the challenge. But I wanted to overcome that. Uh, and, and that has happened. You know, when you look at um, the childhood and the area that I grew up in in Washington, D.C., um, and compare that to what's happening in our country today, especially in urban America, um, it's not a big difference. Um, I grew up at a time and a place where um, a lot of people in, in my community were, were challenged and, and whether it was being black, whether it was being poor, um, whether it was having a, a subpar education system that you grew up in, all of those things um, was a challenge to me as I grew up. And as I see it today, when I fast forward, I see a lot of young men in particular, men of color, uh, that have the same kind of challenges. Um, but if you uh, succumb to those challenges, then there, there's no way to succeed. And I'm lucky that I had um, a two-parent home. Uh, my dad was there uh, and, and he worked hard to make sure that my mother, her responsibility was to take care of the home and raise the kids. 
And uh, today it's quite different because with so many broken homes, uh, with so many fatherless homes, uh, these young boys um, don't have much of a chance unless somebody uh, comes to try to help them. Now I had a lot of um, a lot of help growing up. Even though my dad worked, um, I had surrogate dads, if you will. Um, you know, my coaches uh, in junior high and high school, um, the guys who were directors at the rec centers that I grew up in. Uh, some of the guys in the neighborhood that I grew up in who were older than me, um, they were all my mentors. And um, when, when I look back and see all the people that played a role in my life, mentoring was very, very important. And so that's what I've gravitated to, to make sure that I don't take for granted that these boys are going to be successful. They won't be successful unless there's somebody in their life that believes in them and supports them. You, you gravitated to it, but it is something that you were doing um, long before it became kind of your, your main mission. Obviously the stories of Jalen Rose and one we're interested here in central New York, Derek Coleman, of course, uh, are two that you kind of took under your wing. Uh, that obviously had an impact on you knowing that you were able to provide that type of mentorship to them. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I, you know, Derek and I um, ha have a very unique relationship in a positive way. And I met Derek uh, because he was not a Detroit guy. And I was already done with my career when he moved from Alabama to come here. I knew his high school coach and his high school coach um, asked me, uh, could I help this kid? He, he doesn't know his father. Uh, he's a big kid. Um, he's growing. Um, he, he needs somebody as a role model, and, and i like for you to be that. And so when Derek and I met, it was kind of funny because I, I was in my business, and he was trying to figure out who I was. He, he had no idea. And uh, as he saw people coming in and talking about basketball, he finally asked me the question, did you play? And I said, yeah, yeah, I played. A little said, bit. Who, I did all right. <laughs> who, who did you play for? Yeah, I played for the Pistons. And then I think he started doing a little research. And he was a little embarrassed. But that was OK. Because uh, our, I think our relationship was not built on basketball. It was built on, on two Black young people um, that cared for each other, that wanted to make sure that uh, there was an avenue for success. And obviously he's done well and we are still very close friends. But you got another one uh, that, you know, Todd Bergen is another one uh, from Detroit. And, and, and all of us are in contact with each other consistently. So there's a little Syracuse club uh, here in, in the metropolitan uh, Detroit area where we get together so often and we reminisce and we talk about things that, uh, that Syracuse did for us. And, and those are, I can imagine, just amazing stories. One of the things that is a consistent theme through your life and certainly plays out in the book is that idea of relationships. When you first came to Syracuse, it was a relationships that you started to build with two pretty well-known names here on campus that, that made you think, I think this could be a place for me. Yeah, you know, Syracuse, um, when Fred Lewis became the coach, 
and, uh, and recruited me in my senior year in high school, there were no uh, black players at, at the university in terms of basketball. So the guys that uh, he introduced to me were two black football players. Um, Ernie Davis, the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy, and John Mackey, who um, was an All-American uh, in. And those are the two guys that recruited me and convinced me that Syracuse uh, was a good place for me to come. You know, when I looked at the history of Syracuse from a basketball perspective, it was obvious that they needed some talent. <laughs> yes. they, had lost, they had lost 27 games in a row over a two year period. So one of the things that was obvious to me early on is that with that kind of losing record, I was gonna play. And, uh, you know, I had never been to Syracuse or upstate New York. And Syracuse was the last school that I visited. And with a new coach coming in uh, with an up-tempo kind of game, I thought it was a good, it was a good match for me. So I made the decision to come to Syracuse and, and that's one of the best decisions that I think I've made in my life. And when you were here, you got to know a guy who some of us may be familiar with named Bayheim, who uh, hasn't left. You know, Jim, um, you know, our, our freshman team was pretty unique. Um, Fred, uh, our coach, uh, did a nice job of recruiting some, some pretty good players. My roommate my freshman year was Frank Nicoletti, who was an All-American high school player out of Weehawken, New Jersey. And, and then Sam Pencil out of Boys High in New York had already committed to Syracuse. Um, then you had Rex Strobridge and Dick Abelman uh, out of the upstate area. And there was a guy from Long Island, uh, Norm Goldsmith, who was an outstanding high school player. But the other guy that was gonna be uh, very incremental in, in, in our upcoming season was uh, a guy who was a transfer from West Point, uh, Chuck Richards. And Chuck was about six foot eight, six foot nine, but he had to sit out a year because he transferred. And back then, as freshmen, you had to play freshman basketball. You doesn't matter how good you were, you had to play freshman. You couldn't play varsity. And that freshman team uh, was the turnaround uh, in Syracuse basketball because our freshman team was better than the varsity team. And so uh, there were games uh, that students would come and watch the freshman game. And when the varsity played, they left. Wow. Um, and that was an embarrassment, I think, to the varsity team. But that was the beginning of the change. And uh, as we became sophomores, um, the program started to turn around. And by our senior year, uh, we were positioned um, to make, to, to, to make a record for scoring 100 points a game uh, at the collegiate level. No other team had ever achieved that. And we missed that by just a few points in the last game that we played. Yeah. And it's amazing to think about how, you know, you describe it as that freshman team kind of being a turning point for Syracuse basketball. And the fact that the guy who's coaching today was a part of that freshman team, I don't think it's any small coincidence, is it? <laughs> Not at all. You know, Jim um, was an outstanding high school player, but there were no more scholarships available 
uh, when he wanted to come to Syracuse. So he came as a walk-on and uh, without a scholarship. And we lost one of the players from the freshman team who flunked out, uh, Fran Pincho. And so there was uh, now a scholarship available for Beheim in his sophomore year. So Jimmy and I, um, I roomed with Frank Nicoletti my freshman year. And then Jimmy and I were roommates, um, sophomore and junior years. And so we really formed a, a really great friendship and, and, and a relationship uh, that, um, that, that, that's still ongoing today. And uh, I'm so happy and proud for him in terms of what he's achieved and how he's taken a program and made it one of the top 10 programs in the country. He's, you know, often kind of referred to as he, he could be the mayor in Syracuse. You were the mayor in Detroit. Um, and, and that's one of those things that it sounded like as, as I read, you know, your telling of it was not part of the plan. It wasn't the rim you were going to attack, but it became kind of the thing that, that the city that you fell so much in love with needed. Um, what was that experience like at such a difficult time for, for the country and particularly for the city of Detroit? Yeah, you know, um, when I came to Detroit uh, after Syracuse, um, I didn't know much about the city other than the fact that, you know, Motown was a big thing and the automotive industry was huge, but I didn't know much about the city until I got here. And, um, you know, being selected uh, the second player in the draft in 66, you know, everybody should be, elated about being drafted that high. But the problem that I had was that the number one draft choice uh, was Cassie Russell from the University of Michigan, right, right around the corner from Detroit. Detroit wanted Cassie and, and I understood that. I thought for sure I was gonna to go to New York because when you think about uh, Syracuse alumni, for example. I mean, New York City, and, and, and you know, that, that's a huge Absolutely. alumni place for, for right. Syracuse graduates. So right. I, so, I would so have been very comfortable. The Pistons wanted Cassie, and you kind of wanted to go to New York. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It didn't work out that way. And, um, and because of that, uh, you know, I'm in Detroit, and, and it's my home now, and, uh, and I'm glad it worked out that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Had I gone to New York, um, I'm sure my life would have been quite different. But um, Detroit, with all of the challenges that it's had over the years, um, when, it, when it came time for me to make a decision, after basketball and after business, politics never really uh, entered my mind. And because of the issues that we were going through in the city with our young mayor, um, I got kind of drawn into politics. It's not something that I wanted to do, but it was something that was needed at that point in time because um, people had lost faith and trust in the mayor and city government. And uh, those things are earned over time. Um, and, and I think the years that I was here doing the things that I did outside of basketball, I had earned uh, the respect of a lot of people in the business community and the community at large. 
So when it was time to try to make a change and figure out who was gonna be the next mayor to replace Kilpatrick, I sat on a committee looking and interviewing people who we thought would be the next mayor. And it all came back to, okay, uh, this guy's not good, this guy's okay, but uh, we think you should think about this. <laughs> and ultimately, after a couple of months, I was convinced that Detroit needed somebody like me to go into the office and, um, and help the city regain its prominence. And, and treat it, uh, you know, you said politics wasn't what you were looking to do, but this wasn't about politics. This was about rebuilding and relationships and, and really taking a hard look at, at some of the things that just had to get done. Yeah, well, because, um, you know, I've always been involved in the community, uh, especially with young people, but because I had a 28 uh, year career in business, um, I knew every CEO uh, in this metropolitan area, as well as all the political people. Um, and the business community was the driver for me because a lot of the business community said, we're not going to reinvest in Detroit until we get somebody we can trust in the mayor's office. And uh, we think you are the guy, we can work with you, uh, we can support you. And if you uh, decide to take this job, um, it's thankless. You know, um, I had built up uh, a lot of goodwill over my years here in the city as an athlete, as a business person, as a community activist, et cetera. So it was a big risk for me because, you know, politicians, I mean, if you're, you're lucky if you get 51% of the people to support you, that other 49, uh, they, they are a problem. <laughs> and so I'm saying to myself, okay, is this something I really wanna do? And it, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was necessary. So the, the, the opportunity uh, to take that position was strong enough for me to say, this is more important than me. Uh, I need to do this for the people here in this city. And uh, as long as I get support and help, I think I can, I can, I can be a success. As people hear your story and, and read your telling of it, what do you want them to come away with? What's the, what's the kind of a, a driving message that you hope people take away from this? I think the message is that regardless of how tough things are, um, how many challenges uh, one may have in front of them, um, if you don't attack the challenge, um, there's no way that you're gonna make the changes that are necessary. You know, coming out of high school, um, I could have gone to almost any major college in the country. I was a high school All-American, one of the top five players in the country. But Syracuse was a challenge. Uh, they needed to turn a program around and I, I, I could have been a catalyst to help do that. So rather than take a back seat and say, no, I don't wanna do this, it's too hard. Um, I took that challenge and I, and I attacked it. Um, and the same thing is true from a business perspective. People told me early on when I was 
when I was uh, challenged to, 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 to start my business. Why are you doing this? You, you know, you got a good reputation. You've made some money as, a, as an athlete. Uh, to go into the automotive business is one hell of a challenge. You sure you want to do that? Well, the answer was yes. Uh, I'm ready to do this. Uh, you know, Syracuse helped me academically and prepared me to go into uh, a second career. You know, so many ex-players think that they should be a coach or, you know, they're going to be a scout or whatever the case. I never looked at myself as a coach or a scout. If anything, uh, in basketball, it would have been a general manager. But they had no black general managers in the NBA. So I wasn't so naive to think, okay, I can be a general manager. So um, I prepared myself all those years um, uh, as a player, trying to figure out uh, what I wanted to do as my second career. And as an NBA player, I was done at 34, so I'm still a pretty young guy. Well, that's, that's the other. You could have kept going. You could have kept playing, and it, there was no doubt about that. Yeah, I could have played another two or three years, in my opinion, without embarrassing myself. Yep. Um, but I didn't do that. I was when, when I left, I knew it was the right time and the right thing to do. I wasn't ready to be a business owner, uh, so I had to prepare myself by... Um, by getting exposed to the arena that I was going to go into as an automotive supplier. You know, uh, I, I want to. I do want to point out as I read uh, the book, I thought the one place where you didn't attack the rim and it was the smartest approach was when you took that first job in in the business. You didn't say, "I'm ready to be a salesman. I'm ready to get out there." You wanted to learn first. You kind of hung back and and took it all in before you attacked. Yeah, it, it took me two years in the business getting exposed to what it was all about before I thought I was ready to try to run a business. Um, once again, the, the education background and the preparation of trying to get ready to run a business was very important. And a lot of people will have this dream, will have this idea, but, but aren't prepared to do it. And fortunately, because I made decent money as a player, I had money to invest into the business. And the tough thing for um, black businesses in particular is that we don't bring financial equity to the table for a lot of different reasons. Um, my seven years that I worked in the bank uh, was all part of my process. Um, I wanted to, 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 to meet the right people, decision makers, so that when it was time for me to go into the business, there were people that knew me, that have confidence in me, that would say, um, there's not a lot of risk in this guy. He's putting his own money in. Uh, he's done the necessary things to be ready for this. So we will support him. And, and all of that worked out pretty well for me. So after 28 years as an entrepreneur, I was ready to enjoy life until somebody said, well, we got another job for you. <laughs> and and as, you, as you pointed out several times, you're not one to sit back and just kind of soak it in. You gotta, you gotta be doing. Final thing I wanna ask you, and again, I, I appreciate uh, spending some time with you and, and having this conversation, but when you look at the, the Orange family and, and being orange and being a part of this, obviously it's something that stays with you from the first time you step on campus forever. What does it mean to you to be a part of, of this greater Orange family? Well, it's very unique. 
There's absolutely no doubt about it. And um, it goes beyond basketball. Um, you know, there are a lot of alumni that were not basketball players that I have relationships with. And, and, and Syracuse provided me um, the opportunity to, to learn, uh, to get an exposure that I never had because I grew up in DC in the inner city and from kindergarten to the 12th grade, there was nobody who didn't look like me. And when I go to Syracuse with 14,000 undergraduate students, and there were about a hundred that looked like me. So all of a sudden I got exposed to a new world and I made friends, um, not, all, not just in, oh, in the sports arena, but in the general population. And some of my best friends today were people that I met at Syracuse. So um, it, it, it's had a tremendous impact on, on my life and how I look at things and, and things that I want to support and people that I want to support. It just so happens that we got our president elect. Um, Joe Martin, where there's a, um, a, a Syracuse connection. And when I was mayor, um, Joe and I met on more than one occasion and talked about what Syracuse meant to us. And now that uh, he's going to be our next president, um, I'm looking forward to that because he was instrumental with the Obama team uh, to help me when I was in office. Um, Detroit would not have, would have been very difficult uh, if the Obama administration uh, had not come in and, and helped me and helped this city. And our city is on its way back. Uh, we got a tough fight, but uh, I look at that Syracuse connection and say that if, uh, uh, if, if there's a history here that's very, very positive, and uh, I'm so happy that he's going to be our next president. We've got a link in the description of this podcast to Dave Bing's new memoir, Attacking the Rim, from Triumph Books. And we, of course, thank him for spending a little time and sharing some stories with us. We truly hope you're enjoying the Cuse Conversations podcast. We've got some great guests lined up over the next few weeks. Please subscribe, share, leave us a review. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Chris Velarde. Stay safe, stay well, and go Orange. Go Orange.